What motivates you to get out of bed every morning, Babak? And why, why dedicate your efforts to tech? That's a good question. I love building things, especially products. As, as long as I can remember, I've, I've been a tinkerer. I've been just building sort of tools or like, you know, toys and things like that. I especially enjoy and when I look back through the day and I, I was either part of or I was able to personally build something. And I look back and I'm like, yeah, that was, that was a good day, essentially. And right now, it's, it, it's that on steroids. But like now that I'm back into full-blown sort of my the AI roots, it seems we're on the cusp of a whole new sort of era and it just feels limitless again. Uh, there was a period of time that it felt like there was a lot of things that were saturated. Most products that like I, I could imagine were already built or they were already really, really good. Now all of a sudden a whole new horizon has opened up and I just like love building things in general. And I'm sure we're going to get into it, but there, right now there's a whole new horizon that just opened up that I just can't get enough sleep. I just, I keep thinking when I go to sleep. <laughs> Interesting. So you mentioned the word build, the verb build there quite a few times when you answered the question. What is it about building or the build? Is it is it the action? Is it the journey? Is it the satisfaction at the start throughout the end? Like what do you, what, engrosses you in the actual build a start is always hard uh, if i'm being honest right it's always it's always difficult the first step is always the most difficult right uh, i enjoy the journey and i enjoy the, the the end result essentially especially sort of the vision part i tend to daydream i tend to just when i wake up sounds kind of uh, i don't know maybe facetious a little bit but I find myself just like uh, looking at the ceiling and just thinking, and I just take notes of what I'm imagining. And um, when I see it coming to fruition, and I see like products that you know everyone sort of, uh, I think if you're if you've been through a journey of building products or building anything of substance, it's riddled with doubt. Like, can we really build it? Is it really possible? Like, I don't know. Like, is this doable? Once you see it, once you see it coming together, it's just like that enjoyment is unlike anything else in life, at least for me. Hi everyone, it's Lauren Hawker-Zaffer. Welcome back to Redefining AI, the tech podcast. Today, I've been joined by Babak Palavan, founder and CEO of Ninja Tech AI. Hi, Babak, welcome. Hi Lauren, thanks for having me. It's our pleasure today. And today we're going to be talking about all things personalization, hyper-personalization, and everything that comes with that. That's why we've invited you here on to Redefining AI, because you're someone who has swam in these seas for many years now. So if we're looking at the terms that I listed there, Babak, what should we understand when you or the industry talks about personalization? Is it the same as personal AI? How would you define it? Well, personalization has been around, I think, since the sort of, I would say, dawn of products, right? We all want, I remember, we all remember like the, the first toy that we got and a lot of people just go and personalize it. You put your own mark into it and then you kind of make it the way you want it to be essentially, right? Now, fast forward to the sort of the internet age in which products, you're, you're sort of presented a lot of times with vast amount of information or choices or options it can be overwhelming. And product personalization done right, it's about sort of focusing 
sort of the aperture to things that will match your interest or context or your goals, if you will. And now fast forward further, sort of in my last startup that we started in 2008, CleverSense, the mission of that was to personalize the world around you. And it, it kind of was born out of this, this desire that like when, when we walk around the real world, that I could see a lot of things being personalized online, but like the real world is you walk in a city, like it's, you kind of get lost. So you, you just don't know what, what products, what stores will match your interests, where you should go, especially go to a new city. And so we spent a lot of thinking about those. And that was that product. Now, fast forward further, I can come back to that old product. I think the notion of a personal AI takes it to a whole new level because we're on the cusp of creating, I think, intelligence, sort of intelligent units, agents that are going to be in your corner and helping you better understand the world and get, help you get things done and whatnot. And personalization is, is a key ingredient, I believe. It's necessary to, to do those things right. Yeah, sure. So obviously there you've made two distinct separations between personalization maybe in the past and how it was understood from this mm -hmm. focus on aperture and looking at context, interest, goals. And you've made a different definition with, with personal AI. Does that mean that personal AI doesn't focus on your, your context, your interest, your goals? It, it should. The assertion that I'm making is that personal AI should have those things, not just as a feature, but also as a core DNA of the entire system. It can't be sort of, you know, it's it's really important for personal AIs to be uh, the way we believe, at least, that they really understand you. Because ultimately, we're just building you an AI that's, that's there to serve you. And how can it serve you if it doesn't really understand you? If it doesn't understand your needs, your context, your goals, your desires, your sets of emotions, like what, how you feel as we go forward more and more. So it's, it needs to be part of the sort of the core sort of layer of the entire system. But then how do you make it part of the core layer of the entire system? Does it pertain around the technical nuances or the technical capabilities that are now available to allow this to happen? I mean, maybe we can go back. You mentioned that you started over a decade ago, from what I've understood at Clever Sense. And you also strove then to make the world more personal by working on the digital assistant, Alfred. So yeah. how does or how did Alfred differ to what you're outlining there that should be a core focus in the DNA of the development? So there's the same thought process there as well. So, but we are in an era that it's sort of, it's far more advanced and it's far more encompassing, I think, as we go forward. So it's they're not different, but it's actually the way we're imagining is that it's bigger. It's more comprehensive, essentially, as we go forward. But so back then it was, you know, uh, I remember the day that actually, for example, Google results were not personalized, right? Probably most of your audience, uh, maybe I'm a little bit dating myself. We would remember Google and there was no sign-in, right? You, everyone would get the same exact results. And then once Google in, introduced the, the login mechanism, then the Gaia and whatnot, and then all of a sudden the results became better and better to each individual users. So, so that was so to me like the dawn of like personalization at scale uh, that we all just saw and we learned a lot from. And now essentially as we go forward, I think 
there's just a lot more vectors that we can incorporate in, inside personalization. And there's a lot that we still don't know uh, and we're still learning. But to, back to your question, I think more and more it's about sort of the, the original sort of thinking about it as part of the product requirements from the get-go, as opposed to something that you layer in or you think about later. And in the age of generative AI, I would say we're still learning exactly how to do it properly. And I'm sure we can get into it, but there is from a product sort of expectation, it feels like it needs to be more self-encompassing if you're actually truly, once we arrive at a personal AI as a product. What do you mean by that, though, more self-encompassing? It means that it's more comprehensive. It's more aware, essentially. Or at least that's the goal, to make it more, to be more aware of your, yeah, your desire, your goals, your context. Where are you? Like, even as simple as, like, is it nighttime where you are or is it morning, essentially, where you are? If you're asking it to find some time, for example, when it comes to scheduling something, is it... Does it aware about your time? Is, does it know about your time zone and also the other person's time zone or not? Like even as simple things as that, all the way to the extreme things in which if you're talking to it, you want it to be, you want it to understand eventually that I'm excited or I'm happy or I'm sad or I'm frustrated, essentially. I think one of the key uh, sort of elements that make us human is that ability to understand nuance. Right. I mean, you and I are talking, I mean, I'm, you're listening to my voice. You're looking at my face. I'm looking at your face. I'm looking at your reactions. I kind of have a sense maybe that like, without you telling me anything, if I'm answering your questions, like if I'm hitting it the way what you were asking or no, I'm kind of far away from it. Essentially, I can pick up on those signals because I'm like watching you. Right. And based on your tone, I can pick up a few things without you even saying things to me, like personalization will get into those things eventually that robots are going to be able to under, understand and empathize better. And ultimately, the goal of like better sort of helping us to live our lives. I mean, it's an interesting concept and it is very illustrative what you portrayed there in the sense that you have the facial expression, the intonation, body language, everything. And that can also be conveyed, be conveyed as part of maybe an empathetic display that acts as a reactor to how someone is speaking. And if we look at maybe empathy and AI, I mean, empathy is the bridge between technology and the human experience. And you seem to interlace or sort of slightly emphasize that it's important to infuse empathy into AI. But I think that translating human emotion into algorithms and code must be quite challenging. It is. And it's going to, it's going to take probably a lot, long time until we can reach sort of a human level sort of quality. But that's what makes it exciting. I think 20 years later, we'll look back and it'll be like the same concept, same exact reference that we had. Oh, remember the days where we had like these chatbots and robots that they don't understand anything we're saying? Just like what I said about Google search. I remember like Google wasn't personalized back then and results were like kind of all over the place. And now it's like, we don't get search results that are personalized. You kind of get concerned. If we're looking at like, I don't know, social media and results are not quite personalized. We're like, what, what am I looking at? I don't want to look at this stuff. Right. I think it's the 20 years on there is going to feel like this, this moment again. It's not, it's certainly full of challenges and it's also full of pitfalls. 
Yeah, what are the challenges? I mean, my question would have been, what does actually need time? Is it the way that the models are interacting with each other to provide an algorithm that will essentially translate as an empathetic component or what does what needs time to develop it's it's a yes to all and some more essentially it's it's about sort of collecting signals and be able to actually have clean signals uh, to begin with have like a system that actually can interact with people that's to begin with and then second Yes, about the models. I mean, how do you how do you even go about training these models? Essentially, so we have to break it down into components and start it off from sort of just start with like verbal cues. If somebody says I'm frustrated, or like how would it react to you? Versus uh, sort of uh, when you say like hey, I'm I'm super excited about today. And part of it like we can be sort of clever about like this these systems ask to ask you about it. Like how are you doing today? Or how are you feeling today? Like be inquisitive and based on what you just say essentially be able to interact. Those things we can sort of model and mimic, I would say today. If somebody, if I tell you, Lauren, like, I'm super excited to, to have this chat with you. If you take my word for it, chances are like you can react accordingly. And we can build a model that if it hears that, like it sees that, oh, okay, yeah, this person's excited. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for you. can respond to that. I think the next level would be when we go to sort of pick up on tones and the sort of the, the, the way people enunciate the words and those kinds of things, which I think they will come, but we haven't even sort of started working on those, at least as an industry yet. And not that I'm aware of. I mean, I'm sure there's some research labs that are working on those kinds of things, but it just seems like we're on a path to explore those kinds of things in an industry as a whole. And yeah, it's like, it's just like anything else in computer science. I think it's a possibility, but it requires a lot of data, a lot of intentional sort of product designs and lots of computation power. We have the ingredients now, and I we believe it's possible. So we're talking about speech to text and text to speech. Yes. And um, later it would be at some point, it would be also vision. It would be understanding and analyzing sort of the facial impressions. And, he, and cues from like the, your muscle movements and like how you see and things. I mean, that's the eventual goal to, in order to have like autonomous, like physical robots into the future, um, they need to be able to sort of see things and understand things and furthermore, be able to sort of assess, like be able to read the room, if you will, right? We are, we are already, we are, you see examples of that already. For example, self-driving cars that are beginning to get there. They're analyzing the world around them. Right. And more and more sort of like there's the elements of this and a car is like driving frantically versus a car is driving calmly. Right. It's just, it's reacting to those differently, those situations differently. And I think when it comes to humans, it would be sort of an extrapolation of those kinds of things, essentially. But be able to, instead of like seeing a car that just frantically sort of drives through the road and whatnot, be able to see sort of the human behavior. And someone is calm and collected and smiling versus someone who's like fidgety and really annoyed and like, I don't know, raises their voice and whatnot, be able to react sort of in a thoughtful, careful manner in the context, in the note. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, I think it's the contextualization that actually highlights and outlines the multiple challenges that come with it, because every single reaction pertains or translates to a data set that has to be trained. And also to indicate that this potential reaction also 
requires a response and the data that is required to actually be able to identify this reaction requires X response. I mean, that is a collection if you're not using synthetic data, if it's possible, that's yeah. a, it's a collection of excessive data that also has a little bit of an ethical consideration to it, you know, that benefits maybe less and less or does it benefit more? I mean, if we're looking for personalized experience, mm -hmm. It does that outweigh so this sort of enjoyment of hyper personalization personalization does that outweigh data privacy security breaches you know how are we safeguarding people's personal data yeah, that's that's it that's in themselves essentially isn't it yeah you're absolutely right it's it's very complex and um there's a lot of unknowns attached to this as of now like there's no clear cut I would, that I can tell you like, okay, we will do this and ethically in every single context, it would be fantastic, right? And I think that's sort of part of the journey, right? And it comes to the sort of, first of all, it, I would say it goes back to the, the first principles of like, why are we doing this as, as, a, as a whole? Is this to be a force for good or is it for some nefarious reasons, right? And that's one. And the second, if it's, you know, I assume that nobody, you know, a reputable sort of uh, organization and like they don't they don't want to do something that they're not going to be proud of right so assuming good intent then the next thing is like are we doing everything in our power to make sure that sort of you're safeguarding and uh and sort of we're prepared for like sort of bad reactions and bad behaviors and i would say like two two, two things that are attached to this that i can that is i keep thinking about one is incentives so what is, and it comes back to the business model a lot of times for these kinds of products, right? Is the, is the incentive such that the exchange is such that like, okay, so you, you hire sort of a personal assistant or a personal AI and its job is to really help you out, right? Or are, is the exchange such that, no, I'm going to get it for like maybe like free in exchange. I'm going to, I'm going to give you my, my interaction data or any additional data, and then you monetize it in some other way, essentially. But I don't want to, but I don't want to pay for it. But then you do your best to safeguard that data and then make money off of it in order to fund this whole uh, product. I think there are merits to both ways. You know, they both they both have their own challenges. But given the amount of complexity that needs to be dealt with, if you're dealing with a sort of a product that's going to delve into like ad, ads-based models, I would say that's exponentially harder to get it right it's possible it's definitely possible but it's difficult it's more difficult so we are in the camp of at least the way i'm thinking about this is that SaaS model like make sure that our incentives are super aligned with the user that his job is to serve you its goal is to serve you it might make mistakes it might mess things up uh, that's not the goal and our incentives are sort of if you have a SaaS model that's just like okay i'm paying you to do this for me right and if you mess up chances are you're going to lose the user so you don't want to do that. And if you do it, you want to quickly apologize, quickly fix it and, and, and move forward, right? So it comes to sort of that aspect from one of the challenges, which I think it's that sort of the incentive is, is really key. And the second thing is it's about sort of how are we in the mode of like sort of do things fast and break things and fix it later? Or no, do you want to go in a more sort of thoughtful slow pace and take your time to really do your best to design these things as, as well as possible. And I would say sort of in, in this area, the way at least we're thinking about this is that, yes, it's it, it, sort of 
the, the slow burn, really thoughtful, careful design is the way to go, essentially, because ultimately you're, you're building something that it's, you want it to be, to do its best to really support the user and, and you want it to be helpful. And that's part of the core tenants of the product. And if it doesn't do that, then you have a huge problem you know, on your hands. So it's different from like the social media era, I would say. Yeah. This new era of the AI that we're in. So does your interaction with the user depend a lot on the development of your product? Because obviously in that sense, what you're outlining is that there needs to also be that reinforcement from the user almost mm -hmm. like a component of reinforcement learning where the user is saying, well, actually you have helped me in X, Y, Z. So I will mm -hmm. praise you for that. If not, then the user can then interact and say that actually this is not how I would behave or how I would want you to behave. So then you would provide the opportunity to sort of augment or change the, the directive in the sense of personalization there and the interaction with the end user and the assistant. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess maybe let's take a step back to see like so, sort of our our product versus like the whole industry. So we're building a personal AI for busy people, right? And its objective is to help you, uh, help understand you, but also help you get things done in the real world, right? And it's not, so, you know, for example, it's going to be able to converse with you and chat with you, but that's kind of like one of the ways that we sort of humanizes it a little bit. So we can just make sure that you can understand, you can see that it helps, tries to understand you, but that's like sort of, the main goal of it is to be able to get things done for you. So in our, in that sense, sort of in our case, we have a stronger, we have very clear cut, strong signals. Did we get it done or not? <laughs> Did it work or not? <laughs> right. And we will use the same sort of normal techniques that's like prevalent in the industry, thumbs up, thumbs down. Also like interactions, the number of times users like telling us like whether they did it right or they did it right or wrong, like number of time, number of, interactions it takes in order to get a task done. Those are the things that we're going to be looking at. And the goal is to be able to get things done with minimal amount of sort of back and forth, right? And I believe we get a thumbs up at the end, you know, but like, oh yeah, good job. Yeah. And and then we look at a bunch of, and, and I collect this and we try to then like really hone into to get it done. But as far as like the larger picture in other, as a, as an industry as a whole, I was, I would say, yeah, I mean, it's just signal collection, direct signal collection is probably the way to go. And then there's a bunch of ways of doing indirect signal collections. A lot of people are skipping over, they're not paying attention or, or they're getting annoyed. And then they're ultimately, they're just like, oh, you did a bad job or something. Either you they would say it to the, to the robot or they would just give a very, you know, a lot of thumbs down and a lot of like, you know, angry feedback as they should, essentially, as I, um, when I'm using these products myself and it doesn't yeah. understand can be very, very frustrating. I can imagine. But you, you've certainly outlined anyways for us uh, today, Babak, that you've been on your own journey through the personalization era and landscape because um, you've shared a lot of insightful experience and insights with us. And that we thank you um, today for being here on Redefining AI. Thank you very much. Of course, thanks for having me. And I'd like to thank everyone else who's listening today. If you'd like to find out more about AI, ML, NLP and the Insights era, then go to learn.squirrel.com. Thank you. Thank you so much.